Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. This is Season 2. Our first episode is a bit of a special one. Our first episode was supposed to be with Donald Monroe talking about classical music and the arts, uh, but I instead decided to push an episode forward with Phil Arbayo, uh, who is a local financial advisor and who recently ran for Congress. I, re- I decided to push this episode forward because of what happened today in Washington, D.C. and the assault on our government, our democracy, and our way of life. Phil and I talk about all things politics, beginning with what was happening today in D.C., but then moving back home to the Central Valley to talk about political uh, stuff here uh, in our home. Uh, This episode is full of interesting insights in thinking about politics, uh, race and culture, even bicycles. I hope you enjoy this episode. And Baker will take us there. To elevate guests, politics, religion, culture, art, music, show some respect to the best little city left in the U.S. Fresno's best. Fresno's best. So normally, how I start these podcasts, Phil, uh, is that Mm -hmm. we talk about food, Uh, but we're not going to start that way today. Uh, We may get there eventually, but we're going to start day with, uh, you know, my mind is just an absolute embarrassment, tragedy. Uh, I can't think, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to even make it hyperbolic, just given Mm -hmm. what we're seeing on TV. I'm a a school teacher, that's my profession. Um, And I just literally sat with my kids in kind of stunned silence as we watched this today. Uh, flipping back and forth between the channels, and it was it was interesting because at one point I had a student who's uh, comes from a I guess a conservative family, and I had been flipping back and forth, and I was on CNN at one point, and the kid said to me, you know, at home we don't watch CNN, we watch Fox. They're probably, you know, they're 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 kind of uh, they're making it seem more extreme than it actually is, and so I was like, okay, well we'll flip over to Fox, and uh, sure enough, they were saying the identical things on Fox. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's rare that you have that moment of like solemn recognition across the aisle that something is happening that is just, I mean, the only thing I can compare it to is, is nine 11 uh, in the sense mm-hmm. of just kind of a national, like catching our breath. How, I mean, obviously, you know, you're involved in the political world. So how are, how, what, what lens are you looking at this through today? Well, first of all, uh, Jordan, thanks for having me uh, on your on your podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you you guys reaching out and, and wanting to hear, uh, you know, uh, our take on not only the local matters but today what's going on in DC. You know, I'm watching it as we speak right now uh, because it is so captivating what's going on. It's a culmination of the last four years, I believe, of the rhetoric that this president has and 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 his enablers have. Put out there. So hearing and seeing some of these GOP members of Congress come out and condemn it now, you know, for me, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit too late. It's a little too late. This should have been done a long time ago. And it makes me angry. And, and, and I have, you know, put stuff on social media today about you know, how it makes me feel and, and what we should, what we need to see from our representatives here locally. But, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in this country even though what we're seeing today is not uh, American or patriotic, uh, we're going to come out better than this for sure. Uh, things are going to get a lot better, hopefully in the next four years. 
there's going to have to be there's going to be a big scar uh, on on the country for a while, and it's going to take a lot to heal. But I think we're headed in the right direction. I think, unfortunately, today's incident in D.C. you know just uh, is is the highlight and culmination of, of what's been going on. But we're going to come through it. it, it we're going to we're going to come out of it hopefully better people. As uh, President-elect Biden said today, it, it, it is a, a small mob. It is a minority that is really frustrated, and they believe in, you know, um, crackpot conspiracy theories when it comes to this election. Um, you have five states, all of them, you know, who are trying, well, supposedly today would have been re rejected or at least uh, objected to. There are uh, electors who have state legislators run by conservatives, Republicans, who all said everything went, everything here went fine. And Joe Biden won. And you have a president who is on, who's living in an alternate universe. And unfortunately, he has the biggest microphone in the country and, and people listen to that. So it, it breaks my heart. Uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, as a very active and I am still very active in the community in Fresno as an American, as a patriot. And, you know, I, I again, I, I went to college, I studied politics, I studied American history, and I, I have a deep love for this country and what we stand for. And that's why stuff like this today breaks my heart. It, it, it does, it looks like a third world country. If you, if you take some of the scenes we've seen in some of these communist run countries or dict uh, dictatorial run countries, uh, authoritarian uh, run countries, there's gonna be a lot of similarities in what you see as far as uh, coups uh, taking over. And, uh, you know, I think in, at the end of the day, what it looks like it, it's cooler heads will prevail somehow. Um, we only have 14 more days left of this presidency. It can't come soon enough. And then uh, we love the healing again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, there's a bunch of things, right? Like a lot of these times you see these insurrections, uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's someone, it's like people rising up against a dictator um, and sacking the palace or whatever it is. But you have the leader of the country <laughs> instigating it. And it's just, it, it's, it's the weirdest. And I, I think the, the troubling part is, is I want to hope that this is the death gasp, you know, the last kind of gasp of this, of this movement, of this very fringe movement. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, we live in the Valley, so we talk to conservative people all the time. We're not like kind of those big city elites in the Bay Area or, or LA where we're kind of insulated from uh, people who think differently than us or they're our neighbors. Um, and when I've talked to people today, there's been some kind of like, uh, well, it's kind of like, you know, it's like the BLM protests. It's, you know, it's, it's similar. And there's kind of not casual dismissal, but like rationalizing it or something. And so I'm just concerned, you know, and I, I want to hope, I want to buy into that things are getting better, but, I'm concerned that this is something that's going to build uh, during Biden's presidency um, and that this angry fringe group, uh, you know, similar to the way the Tea Party uh, movement started. Yeah, but the Tea Party never elected a president, really. And uh, unfortunately, it seems like the extreme right wing of the Republican Party um, they, it was, it did, it was, it was successful. And 
unfortunately, I think that it's going to take a while for this movement to be removed from American politics. It's going to take the enablers to leave office, uh, you know, those in the Valley and, and, and elsewhere as well, before Trumpism is completely gone. He might leave, he might leave on January 20th, the, the office physically, but he'll always be a former president. He'll always have secret service. He'll always be paying uh, taxes for his protection. And he will find a way. What we do know about this president, he will find a way to keep himself in the spotlight. Nobody can take away his phone or Twitter. So we have to, and when I say we as Americans, and I, and I would also say the GOP has to realize which direction do they want to go uh, down. Do they want to embrace this and keep it going? Or, or do they want to move away from it and say, hey, we, it was a good run while it lasted, I guess, if, you, if they want to call it a good run. We had four years of, of basically being able to run the country uh, the way, I guess, they thought they wanted to, even though they really, there was really not that much done the last four years. And then they lost a lot of seats everywhere, uh, as we know today. They, it's a 50-50 Senate. So they can continue down that road because that's a, a base that they know will come out and vote. I mean, or again, these people actually vote. That's the hardest thing. They understand that these people will come out and vote. So somehow we have to pander to that, but hopefully they will understand that sometimes you have to you have to burn your house down in order to rebuild it. Sometimes things are just not just not uh, you know uh, remove. You can't just remodel that easily. Sometimes you got to you know you got to bring down a few walls. You got to you got to start from the base again. But uh, it, it, it is tough, and and of course where we live in the Central Valley uh, today, uh, we saw that there was a, um, a parade, a car parade again, that was going through the valley, a stop to steal, right? Uh, that started in Clovis and ended in Clovis. And much like what they're doing out there, obviously it was a lot more peaceful and it was in the cars, but there's still a good chunk of people who still believe that this president won, that it was somehow stolen from them. And uh, they're gonna believe that to their, to their dying breath. And, we have the only way that this gets better is if we come together, uh, both parties, and, and, and push forward uh, for more bipartisan um, legislation uh, to move this country forward, uh, especially with what's been going on the last four years. Yeah, so I've, I've, I've recently been reading this book called, um, maybe it's an unfortunate name, 10% Less Democracy. Um, and it basically makes the case that, you know, if, you know, it, it, if you don't have shared knowledge or common facts that you can agree upon, that democracy, democracy can't function well. And it seems like, you know, given, given how widespread this belief is that the election was stolen, that there, there are a lot of people that are just have, alt, you know, these alternative facts. So I guess my question mm -hmm. is, do you think, do you think democracy can continue to function and flourish in America even when, we have these kind of two sets of facts that we're operating with? I do, it's, it, it's been taken to the brink in these last four years. But I, as many, as many uh, members of Congress said today, you know, the safeguards are there, the rails are there for a reason. And while they'll get pushed and they'll get bent and uh, you know, people will try to, to break them, I believe in the long run, this is, this is the United States and, and we are going to come out better and stronger. And sometimes you just, 
no republic is perfect. We've seen from history that Republican, republics break down. Um, ours is very young in terms of some of those that we've seen. Uh, 200 plus years, uh, you know, um, and, and at some point, there was going to be a, uh, somebody was going to come in at some point to test the strength of this democracy. And whether we buckled or we, or we persevered, that was going to be up to us. And I think, you know, the black eye, and I, I'll call it a black eye of the, of the Trump presidency, will be there in history. We'll always look back and say what almost happened. And we cannot, that's why we can't let it happen. Because what, look what happened with the 45th president of the United States. And I'm hoping that obviously history will, will learn from history. There's that old adage, you know, um, uh, those who fail to learn, you know, from their history are doomed to repeat it. Or, you know, I can't remember the exact quote, but you, you understand what I'm saying. So we have to learn from, from this part of history. It seems like a, it seemed like a long four years, but in the in the grand scheme of things, it was a really short a period of time, and I don't see this happening again. I do think there are there are good people on both sides of the aisle who want to work together to push things forward. While we while we uh, might see things differently and how to do that, there are going to be some common grounds that we do have, and that's how you that's how you have results is by working together. I mean, you can look from everything from the affordable, uh, most recently the Affordable Care Act, which was, you know, not perfect. It added more people to, to insurance plans. Uh, you had one, one uh, wing of the, uh, the Republican Party, one wing of the, of, the, of the Democratic Party. They wanted to add another option, a public option. That wasn't going to happen, but we came together to make it better. And then we saw with the John McCain vote uh, before his passing that uh, and he was a Republican, the thumbs down vote. He wasn't going to repeal it. It was up for repeal. And he said, no way, this is not happening. So sometimes it is. It's just one vote. But that's why it's so important to work uh, with each other in order to in order to move things forward uh, in this country. Sometimes it is incremental, slower than we want. But it's we we it's all about results, and I think that's what we're going to see here in the next, especially two to four years, with now a, a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate, virtually basically, right, and then you have a Democratic president. While you might not get everything you want, you're you're going to see some good results and uh, results, I should say, and hopefully that's that that starts with the uh, the control of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I guess this could, you know, this could be the just the final straw where people's eyes are opened. You know, it could be the moment where people see, oh, this is where it goes when we have two different sets of facts and we're allowed. We, we give someone the floor to just, you know, lie to everyone and incite violence in people who are maybe less educated, people who get news from particular places and then, you know, we'll take that to an extreme. I mean, I think you're right. I think the combination of it's just the combination of uh, uh, Ossoff and um, what's uh, what's his last name? Warnock. Yeah, the the you know their success in Georgia. I mean, it it it's maybe this is the the kind of the turning of the tide, and it's and I, I you know when I was watching Mitch McConnell today, right before uh, the invaders uh, mm-hmm. assaulted the Capitol, uh, he, he was sounding 
rational to me. <laughs> like he yeah. was, he was saying like, look guys, you know, we can't live in these deluded realities uh, yeah. that our president's inventing. We, it, we have to accept reality or because I think he sees, I think he's wise enough to see that if this is, if this pattern continues, the, their party will end. I mean, you can't. Well, yeah. And I think also he saw the writing on the wall last night. Right. I mean, he understands he's no longer the majority leader. He's not going to be out. He's not going to be able to hold things up. Look, the guy is, look how old he is. He probably has maybe, well, he, now he has one term left in him. I don't know if I'll have another term left in him. He has to he has to hold the seats that he has. I mean, so is so the Democrats in twenty twenty two as well. Uh, and 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 sometimes the best way to do that is just to be humble about it. You know, like, look, we, we we didn't do much. We got beat in every facet we could in the last two years, from the eighteen elections to the to to the twenty elections. And now we have to work with these people because if it seems once again that you are of a party that is holding up progress in this country, whether that comes, well, the COVID's not going away. And we all, we all, we already know that uh, this new president with the new house and the new Senate will want to pass those $2,000 checks. And if there's, if he's going to hold that up and he's going to hold his caucus up from doing that, they're going to hurt in two years. They're, they're going to hurt in two years. I mean, he, it's in his best interest to work with us to get results because then he can stay, you know, they can go back to that center. You know, we know that this extreme right that we're seeing on CNN right now, they, there's no compromise. In them. It's their way or the highway. And if it's not, if it's not our way, then everything else is against us. It was stolen. It, you know, you're not American or, or whatnot, but the majority live in the middle where they want to get things done, no matter how that looks like, Hey, let's, let's just get it done. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, I think the media plays into that as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm just so, it's just been such a, it's been such a, a, a last year. And then this today, it's, it's just so mm -hmm. disheartening. I, I'm sure you can feel that as well. And I, yeah, and I think, it, I think you were right. It was, you know, this is, it seems like there, it was their last gasp. This is it. And we had one shot at this. Um, in 14 days, Joe Biden is going to be president. This is our last opportunity. The problem is you still have somebody in the office for the next 14 days who's going to be maybe inciting more violence for the next 14 days. Because now you have this, uh, you're going to have two more senators seated. And who knows what's going to happen on election day. Yeah. Right? I understand that they're probably going to have more or I'm sorry, inauguration day, we'll probably have more um, law enforcement out there, but we don't know what between now and then what the president's going to say about the inauguration. Yeah. Hey, we could say, you know what? This is not our last attempt. There is an inauguration. Let's go out there. And, 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 and that could, and that could, that could possibly happen. Yeah. But I've, uh, I've heard people. You know, it's going to be a long 14 days. Yeah, I've heard people floating the 25th Amendment and, you know, it's, it's funny when you're, when you're on Twitter and, you know, there's, there's people that you normally disagree with, but you're, they suddenly sound like your friends. Well, I mean, not that you can't be friends with people you disagree with, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, it's like uh, Jonah, Go Jonah Goldberg, who's kind of like a, kind of a right-wing uh, commentator and intellectual is, 
saying things. I'm going, yeah, that's right. Then I, then I know that, uh, that, that there's something seriously wrong, but what people have been saying is, you know, the 25th amendment, you know, incompetence, um, and, or, sure, yeah. or, or just resuming impeachment or doing impeachment again. Um, you know, it's, it seems like that's almost as crazy as it sounds. That seems like it's the most kind of calm conservative thing to do right now is just remove. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I think if, for me, my opinion is somehow he should have been removed a long time ago. If it wasn't during the impeachment, the first time around, I believe I'm on, I said something on Twitter right after the election that like, he can still be impeached. Like, don't forget that that still can, that still is a, an, uh, that still is a, an avenue to take. And now, uh, knowing what we know today, and then we, we know, we knew about what was a few days ago with him calling up Georgia, he's looking for every way. And sometimes the best thing you do is just, there has to be accountability. And, and that's the one thing that we know Donald Trump has never had in his entire life is accountability. Everybody's been there to bail him out where he walks away, whether it's a business, a hotel, a casino, I'll walk away, I'll leave the, I'll leave the debris and the rubble behind me and I'll go find my new venture. And so that's what he's doing this time around. And this is the problem with, you know, as I was telling my wife this morning, electing someone and putting someone in a position that never held that, held, he, he, remember, he never held public office before, not even a school board seat. Um, putting someone in a position who doesn't respect the position. And I don't think he respected it from the beginning. Uh, he didn't make, it, it clearly looked like he didn't want it. I think he, I think we all know that he looked very, on, on, on his election day, like, holy crap, I have to actually do this. Um, I think he liked the platform, but I don't think he wanted the job. Yeah. It just the platform gave him the, the the bullhorn, the loudest one. So we're like you said, we're just seeing the 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 the, the total effects at the very end of what's going on, and it is unfortunate for this country. But uh, the sun will rise again tomorrow, and we will we'll get through this, and I think we'll come out better uh, on the other end. And if if anything today is that Republicans and Democrats agree that this is not the course of action to go down. So at least we're agreeing on something now. Well, I believe it's too little too late on their side. Um, it, it, it seems like they were playing with fire and fire and, and we're playing with fire, throwing these matchsticks at the house. And now they're like, oh crap, we actually, the house is on fire. Okay, stop, everybody just stop. Like we're not, okay, we're not cool with this. This is not good. It's too little too late, but at least they're coming out saying like, stop and let, and instead of saying, Hey, just let it continue to burn, throw more matches on it. You know? So, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a sad day. It's a dark day. It's an embarrassing and shameful day for this country, but uh, we'll get past it. Yeah. And I, I, I think there's some serious soul searching that the Republican party needs to do. You know, it's, it's, it's funny when you think about them as the party of Abraham Lincoln, you know, and then you yeah. think about today, you know, and the irony of that, of them charging in the Capitol building with Confederate flags. You know, it's, 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 it's the irony is just so rich that it's, it's, yeah, it's it, 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 you're, you're, you're absolutely right. To, to love them in with Lincoln is like the, the complete opposite of what Lincoln, you know, stood for. He, you know, he was a president during the civil war and, and, you know, and there to abolish slavery, he wasn't going, 
he he didn't just do it unilaterally. He he tried to build a compromise to make that done. He knew people wanted it. He knew people didn't want it, um, which is why you know half the country left. But there were still those in in um, in Congress at the time with the states that were that were left who didn't want a Fourteenth Amendment. Right? They, they didn't want to have you know the, the slaves to be uh, whether they were freed or or, or whatnot. So it. it Again, as I said today, this is the antithesis of what it is to be an American and a patriot. Uh, today, the founding fathers would be like, what are you guys doing? And, and, and I just, speaking of books, you know, I just finished reading a book myself on the founding fathers and the press, and those guys were brutal with each other in the press. I mean, those guys would go after each other left and right. And um, you think our divisions are bad. Theirs were terrible, but at the same time, they were still they were so cordial in the sense that they knew they had to somehow compromise to get things going. Even though I could say this about you in this press and this about you in this press and I had this, whatever, um, we still had to do what we had to do. And their divisions were, you know, from the very beginning, that's why they had the, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. I mean, you know, that's, that was the, from the very beginning, which was, you know, unfortunately was led to our two-party system today. Yeah. I think ultimately, um, and we can conclude this and talk a little bit about the Central Valley, which is what this sure. podcast is about after all, um, yeah. by, by saying ultimately these people need to be held accountable. We need to be mm-hmm. clear about what this was, which is you know insurrection and act of terrorism, yeah. uh, threatening democracy. We need to be clear about what it is, um, and we just need to proceed forward. You know, I, I, I think that we should focus on what we can do with a Senate majority, with a majority in the House, with the presidency, and start mm-hmm. to take care of the people that are dying every day from the coronavirus, you know? I mean, I think yesterday was like the, the largest death total that we've had so far this year, or over, over the course of the, uh, the whole COVID thing, and it's just, yeah, it's, we need to focus on what's important uh, right now. Yeah, you start losing count when, uh, you know, uh, which day is the highest and what uh, not only deaths but infected and it's unfortunately become normalized and uh you know again it's it it's hard to say that you know in the last four years unfortunately this administration has a normal normalized a lot of bad things that wouldn't normally be we would be outraged with right we were outraged with 9-11 with how many people died on that day and we did it and we did something about it right where we still today have to take off our shoes and we still have to go through all these uh, metal detectors and, 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 and very other and other various security measures but every day you're getting the same amount of people who died on 9-11 died of coronavirus that's like a 9-11 for the last nine months or however many months you know that, that that's been going on so and it's been normal it's like oh, okay well you know three three thousand plus people died today and the, cra- the crazy thing is, too, like, Phil, is that, you know, if you go to, if you go to Manhattan and go to the 9-11 Memorial uh, in the basement there uh, mm-hmm. where the memorial is, they've got this room where they've got the pictures of everyone on the wall who died. Oh, there. yeah. And if you think about, <laughs> I mean, we would have to have warehouses. We'd have to, we, we would have to fill up, you know, a football stadium with all the, you know, multiple, multiple football stadiums. It would be a, a, a Vietnam memorial wall all over again, right? No pictures, just names. And um, maybe at some point in the future that will happen where you have to recognize everybody who died from this pandemic 
uh, somehow, some way. And uh, but we, we, you know, we felt it, and you, you know, we felt it right here in the Central Valley, uh, especially with our um, the type, you know, the type of people that uh, the disenfranchised people, the people of color that it's affecting more uh, more than others. Uh, you know, I, I believe I was did my research on this, um, and it's probably still today, but I, I did this a couple months ago. You know, six out of every ten people in Fresno County that was getting coronavirus was Latino. I mean, these are people that probably work in the uh, essential workers, your frontline workers. Um, and so we, we've seen it hit our, our valley hard. And we know in you know the district that I was running in, it was 49% Latino. And we have six out of, you know, six out of 10, you know, being contracted with the coronavirus. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's affected this country. It's affected not only this country, but the Central Valley very hard on what's going on with this coronavirus. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the Central Valley in particular. Um, and we'll come back to food because we're not going to leave that. Because that's that's an important topic, but yeah. we'll save it for mm-hmm. the end. We'll kind of we'll mm-hmm. kind of build towards hope at the end, um, mm-hmm. and talk about burritos or whatever. Um, but uh, you know, I the Central Valley is such an interesting place, um, and I think lots of people don't really understand it, especially outsiders, especially you know, kind of the the coasts of California. I I don't think they understand how diverse it is. Number one, um, and then I think they have like in their brains, like when they think of the central value, like Bubba and an F two fifty, kind of like what's, that's uh-huh. kind of what their picture is, but it's, it's a lot more diverse and it's, it's, I don't know would I don't know if you'd call it a swing, uh, a swing region, uh, but they're, they're, you know, it's purple in a lot of ways. And uh-huh. I, I think uh, the district you were running in would, would be along those lines, given how close your election was. So uh-huh. I guess my question to you is, um, do you see the demographics moving towards um, the Central Valley becoming more blue? Do you see it always kind of being this purple mixture of uh, Latino voters and more conservative uh, voters as being kind of these two blocks that are always kind of pushing and pulling? Um, where, where do you see kind of the politics of the Central Valley going? Yeah, well, a lot of people overlook that Fresno is the fifth largest city in California, right? It's, it's more sophisticated than people want to give it credit for. And the Central Valley is more sophisticated than people want to give it credit for. And of course, diverse. It is a purple area. And it'll be a purple area for a very long time. It will never be LA or Southern California. And we'll never be the Bay Area. We're going to be the Central Valley. And that's fine. We're okay with that. Uh, we know that from my election and from my predecessor's election that this is a very this district was, is a very uh, competitive district um and there's still a long way to go but it's not we weren't blown out of the water um and and, and just look what happened in some of the other districts here look the 21st of Valdez on cox has flipped a couple of times right now you know i mean i mean cox won by uh you know a couple of hundred votes if not a little bit more than that so did Valadeo. In that district as well, uh, and I'm sure that next time, next go around, it'll be just as close, depending on how redistricting is going on. And look what happened with, uh, you know, Josh Harder up in, up in the uh, Stanislaus County area. You know, he he flipped that seat, and he actually, I think, increased that lead this year. Um, and this is a very 
this is that this is a, you could say a rural part, even more part of California, but they uh, they were able to flip that, and, and it's just a matter of time here. It, it's it's a really weird mixture of demographics and and uh, and, uh, and and the cities that that come along with it. Fresno County is a blue county. I mean, it has been. I think Barack Obama won his first uh, uh, election. And um, but you you still have a conservative area like Clovis, which still takes up you know about a hundred plus thousand people, and then you have Fresno, which is you know close to a quarter of a million or three quarters of a million of people uh, right next door. You got literally blue and red right next door to each other that mix uh, together as well. So it is a purple area. It's going to get bluer. That's just a matter of of time. How how much bluer it gets? The redistricting that's coming up. We'll see how much bluer it's gotten. We know that Democrats and independents in the state are outpacing, have outpaced the Republican vote in California. That's a dying party uh, for them. They are now the third largest party in California. So we'll see, you know, how the districts here play out. They'll probably get more competitive. Uh, I'm assuming just because of where I live and uh, how it's restructured. I mean. Democrats and independents have made big gains in the last decade here. So uh, we're excited to see how it looks. We know, uh, you know, going forward, it'll, it, it will be a lot more competitive. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from there. Yeah. Do you think, um, do you think maybe part of the way to accelerate that would be to do kind of what Stacey Abrams did, and which is really dig in and then, you know, get people on the voting rolls and, uh, push out in the community. I mean, do you see that well, as something I, I, that could work here? We need a we need a Latino or a Latina Stacey Abrams here in the Central Valley. Is yeah. what we really need. We right. Stacey Abrams is really good for the African American community in, in in Georgia. But what we're lacking here is the Latina Latina um, Stacey Abrams, right? And I know there's somebody out there that can make it happen. Whether it's someone like myself. Uh, or someone um, that's out there that's very passionate about it. Unfortunately, I think those resources that we see that come in from the Central Valley or that come from the Bay Area or Southern California are always get projected out of California rather as opposed to in the Central Valley. And I know it's been different the last two years because I talk with a lot of people on the phone you know they're they're pulling for us. They want us to make this happen, right? And they're and they're willing to donate and give their money to make it happen. But we need a Stacey Abrams of the Central Valley, uh, so to speak. And you know I'm sure if someone will come along. There's some great groups doing it, but it is going to take someone that one figure that everybody looks up to and says, "Let's mobilize a Latino vote," because we have so much power. Uh, not only in our workforce, but 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 coming up with our voting, with especially the the first generations uh, and now the second generations that are that are coming into play here. We know that 49% of the district that I was running is Latino. However, you know they're not all eligible to vote. You know they're they're here. They're the DACA recipients, or you know they come here on a, on a on a work program, or they came here a long time ago and never became citizens. So. Uh, we have an opportunity here to make it the Georgia of the uh, Central Valley, but the Latino version of it, uh, as they did in, I think they've done in parts of Texas, right? I mean, I think whether it's was, uh, you know, one of the Castro brothers or Joaquin or, or Julian, 
uh, and also Bethel O'Rourke. You know, they did some really good work out there in, in, in getting out the vote. We just need someone like that to come here and believe in us. And, and you know, one of the reasons, one of the things I would always say on the campaign trails, you know, the reason I got in this race is because I believe in the Central Valley. We have that potential. We just need help unlocking it. Um, and we, we, we don't need to be stifled anymore. It's there, but uh, we need some help. Yeah, so that kind of leads me to to my next topic, which is uh, thinking about uh, the economic uh, situation in Fresno um, and how you view it. And, you know, I mean, you're a financial advisor a, as a profession, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm sure that gives you a, a particular perspective. So what I, there's and there's lots of people in the valley that are doing cool things. You know, Bitwise is trying to bring technology jobs. You know, uh, but I also think about you know things like agriculture that's you know becoming more mechanized. Um, you know, and I think about, you know, one of the big industries that I see that I, 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 maybe you can clarify for me is this kind of like growth industry, which is in this sprawl and housing and construction. So I guess my question, and I'm kind of dipped in a few different things is, um, how do you view the economic situation in Fresno in our economy? Um, what are the ways forward? Um, and where, maybe just start with where we're at. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not in a good place. I mean, that's just obvious. Uh, you know, our part, uh, the levels of poverty, poverty that we have here. But we, again, we have a lot of potential, and we just need help unlocking that potential. We have the workforce here; they want to work. We just need good-paying jobs. That's the biggest thing I think that what I see as a, a an advisor, a financial advisor, I see. You know, my clients they come in and they, you don't have any money from a job, retirement, a savings account, or a retirement account, whether that's a, you know, some type of pension or 401k, you're not, you're not using an advisor. You don't need to um, because you haven't been able to save in that capacity yet. So knowing that, know, knowing what I know is that more people just need access to those types of jobs that provide the benefits, uh, whether the health benefits or they're the, the financial benefits uh, and good paying jobs. I mean, you know, most of my, a lot of my clients are teachers. I'm not saying they're paid really well, but they're at least in a system that allows them to save for retirement later. And they are, they're coming in and they got some good uh, pension built up and then they're allowed to supplement the, supplement on the side and see people with, you know, careers from PG&E and so on. Uh, you know, good paying jobs. Uh, you know, a lot of those, especially the teachers that come in, they're union folks. So, uh, you know, they, they are allowed to collective bargain for those, for those, um, those benefits that they have as well. So, you know, good paying jobs, uh, union, and we have a u- unique opportunity as well with, you know, our, the geography that we have in the Central Valley to, to get good paying 21st century and green jobs uh, here as well to bring in, you know, jobs that are going to help our environment clean our air up and, uh, and, and, and to make, you know, to make, water coming out of the taps uh, in some of these towns out in the rural counties drinkable. We have that, we have that, uh, uh, that opportunity here. Again, we just need our representatives in some capacity, whether that's the federal level and state level to harness that, to bring that in here, to make it happen. And uh, there's the only way we can go is up. We can't go down. We're so far down already in the terms of where we are in California. between Sacramento or San Francisco and, 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 the, Bay, and the Bay Area and Southern California, 
we can only go up. And I think, yeah, of course, high-speed rail coming is going to bring a lot of good economic opportunities as well. You're going to have people coming in from the Bay Area. The double-edged sword is what you talked about, the, the, the growth industry. You know, Fresno did sprawl, and they did it very well, and they did it big time. And the developers that have their hands in many pots here, they want to continue that. You know, they want to they want to build even further out of the boundaries right now. They want to do the general zone. And that's, you know, for 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 an area that already has terrible air quality, that's something that we need to start bringing in. And it's unfortunate because a lot of these developers have power. They have friends in high places who will try to get that done for them. And we have to start thinking about what's good for, for our future as far as uh, air quality. There's a lot of infill. You want to build? Build over here. There's an empty lot. There's tons of empty lots here. Build something that people will want to live in. You know, the, the days of the single family home, I'm not saying they're over, but they're, you can have them in different places. It doesn't need to be in the sprawling suburbs. You know, we, we complain about traffic in, already in Fresno, and, and now you want to build even further out. <laughs> you know, eventually hitting Sanger. Uh, if we're pretty much, you know, we're pretty much uh, on top of them. And, you know, we're pretty much up to the Madera County borderline already. So um, eventually we could even be out to Kerman on the west side. So it's, um, it's, it, it, it's a double-edged sword. We need the economy. We want the people living here. But at the same time, we want to rein in that sprawl. So what's your view of agriculture? Do you think that's a way forward in terms of work? Because that is kind of one of our biggest industries, right? It is. It's the biggest industry. Um, it's what keeps the world going. It keeps the, the nation going. It, it, it provides a lot of jobs. Uh, they need to be better paid. They need to be more respected. Uh, they need to get the coronavirus uh, vaccine ASAP. Um, we saw people, in the, uh, we saw one of the governors in Nebraska were like, yeah, you know, people in meatpacking plants and those in the field, they're not eligible right now for the coronavirus vaccine. It's like, these people literally put food on your table and you're saying they're not important enough to get this vaccine. And with that needs to happen ASAP here. And, and, and we've seen how slow this rollout is of the virus already. That's been a failure. Um, hopefully the, the next president has a better plan to get, you know, two to three million people vaccinated a day uh, so we can get back onto our normal lives. The pace that we're at right now, it's going to take like two or three years before we get back to our normal lives. Um, so I'm not holding my breath. I'm getting it anytime soon. Uh, I'm not an essential worker, but those who are in the fields, those who are in the meat packing plants and the, and the, and the other packing uh, houses, they should be right. They're on top of each other. They should be right there at the front line, right after our essential workers and healthcare uh, getting uh, vaccinated. So our agricultural workers are, are probably one of our number one assets uh, here in the in, in the Central Valley. So, you know, that we have an opportunity as an agricultural uh, community to, to lead the way in that. Um, and it will always be number one. We, I, I believe we've set records this last year in terms of production here in the Central Valley. So we don't want to forget what drives the economy here, but we also don't want to forget the people that drive the economy here. Absolutely. And I, it's, it's good we were talking about demographics and forgetting about people. I mean, I, so this is kind of a, an interesting uh, topic we're going to talk about with uh, Democrats. Um, so, you know, it, we're kind of forgetting about the election that was two months ago, but one of the, yeah. one of the surprises in the election was, was Florida and certain, certain counties, you know, around Miami 
Um, and there was, you know, kind of an expectation that Latinos would turn out in greater numbers uh, for Biden, but that didn't happen in the way that was projected. Um, so I guess my question for you is, as someone that lives and works in this area, what, what do you think that Democrats misunderstood about Latino voters that led them to project that in a different way than yeah, it turned out? I think they try to... I think they try to put us all in the same basket, and this is not the case. We saw there, there are California Mexican Americans, there are, there are Texas Mexican Americans, there are Arizona, there are Nevada, there are Florida um, Latinos as well. Those that are in Florida, they come from a different background, they come from a different area, they come from Cuba, they come from uh, Venezuela, they come from you know communist socialist countries that you know are very. Dic- Tutorial, uh, dictatorships, you know, um, they come from very stifled uh, economies and, and ways of life, or like in China as well. Uh, and then you have the you have the, the Mexican Americans out here uh, in in the South who are, who are trying to get away from crime, and, and whether it's in Mexico or in Central America, and they just want to come and have uh, a, a better uh, a better country or a better a better life for their for their families so and i think another thing is is that we another another misconception that that uh you know perhaps those in the political world strategists whatever you want to call them uh, have is that you know everything has to be either done in spanish we have to be on the spanish radio there's a lot of people that i know that are mexican who are like we don't we watch the american news we watch you know we, we talk about uh, we watch the, well, you know, they do watch their, their Telemundos and their Univis Jones. They still watch the ABCs. They're still going to their mailboxes. And they, a lot of their children are learning up, are, are, are teaching them English and stuff like that. They're trying to assimilate as well. So uh, it's, it's tough. It, it's tough to try to figure out how that goes. But we've seen that basically the Latinos west of the Mississippi were more Trump, were, were more Biden people, right? Those East were going to be more more Trump people. It, Trump didn't come to uh, Arizona to talk to the Latinos there. He didn't come to Texas to talk to the Latinos there. He doesn't come here to the Central Valley to talk to the Latinos here. You know, he he goes to Florida. I mean, that's where his home is now, right? Or supposedly it's going to be Mar-a-Lago down there. So he uh, he knew where his audience was, and he knew he wasn't going to win the Mexican American vote, and he. It, and that's, I think that's the one thing that we have to f- figure out is, is how, how do we get out the vote, um, even to a higher percentage. And I'm, I'm sure after all the analysis is done, we'll see that we did better, even in my race and in the Central Valley, but we can do a lot better. We can still do a lot more. We didn't have an opportunity to knock on doors this year. We didn't have opportunities to, I didn't have an opportunity to go to, to the small little towns uh, in Fresno and, 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 and Tulare counties um, to meet uh, a lot of people. And we still did very well. And I'm sure if we would have had more time or if we weren't a pandemic, we would be out there every day we could and uh, making sure we got out the vote. But I think we did a very good job considering uh, the circumstances um, that we had to campaign in, unfortunately. I mean, it's just a good reminder that people are unique, right? And that Mm -hmm. people's political backgrounds are unique. And, you know, to lump everyone 
all Latinos into a basket, I mean, it's just another symptom of racism ultimately, right? It's, yeah, it's to, this... to think that you have to speak to them, uh, whether it's in their language or you got to eat their food or, or whatnot. I mean, look, I'm Mexican. I, I, love, <laughs> I love my culture. I love my food, but I also love my country. And, you know, I didn't grow up in a Spanish-speaking household. You know, my Spanish is terrible. My wife is a lot better. My kids are a lot better at it. Uh, than myself, um, but there are a lot of Spanish, there's a lot of Latinos in the Central Valley who need to be engaged in other ways, other than the, like this, like you said, the stereotypical way you would think you would have to go after them. Um, there are going to be some, you know, some communities that we're going to have to go into with heavy Spanish-speaking uh, staffs and, and, and events as well, which is great because that's, you know, I, I love that, but, and you're going to have to get them out to vote. But you're also going to have to not lump everybody into the same. Well, you know, if I have an event here and it's strictly in Spanish, then I can invite every Mexican within 10 miles. No, you can't. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, there's people are not going to, you're not going to, you're going to get some people, but you're not going to get everybody you want. And so I think that's right. You, You have to, everybody's unique and you have to figure out how to, how to figure that out. That really is, it really is the million dollar question. Right. And everyone's unique and everyone, but everyone has, you know, similar goals. You know, we want what's good for our kids. We want stability. We want good jobs. We want retirement. We want good health care. We want all of those basic things. Um, but we come at it with different worldviews. And like you said, if you came from uh, a country in South America that had a, you know, series of uh, bad governments um, and coups and different things, you know, um, and, you know, you had ideas about what socialism and communism were and, you know, someone's telling you that the Democrats are going to want, <laughs> you know, Devin Nunes on the freeway is going to tell you that, you know, <laughs> socialism's coming if you vote for Phil, you know, you can see how that would provoke in their brains, you know, kind of those, like that trauma of where they came from. And, and the funny thing is that, like, when you talk about those socialism ads, those socialism ads weren't meant for the Latino here. It right, was meant right. for, it was meant for his base. Yes. Now, when you, that same ad, when it plays in Florida, is speaking to the Latino there, right? They, it, it is. So here he's, the socialism argument is, is, is about his base getting out, the, the majority white male voter who, you know, hates Nancy Pelosi, hates Don, uh, Joe Biden, who hated Barack Obama, and sees that somehow we're going to bring in all these socialist programs when themselves they are living off of socialist programs like social security and their, and their, and their medi- and their Medicare and all that stuff. But that's what Devin's, that's what his audience was towards. It wasn't towards the, the Latino here who most likely didn't come from some communist social socialist country in South America or even in, 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 in Latin America there. Um, so that's the different messaging, right? Socialism. Right. That messaging played different in different areas. Yeah, I mean those those freeway those freeway ads. It it's just comedy for me. I'm just driving down the night. Okay, there's another one. I uh, yeah. I mean I understand where he's his target with that, um, but it's 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 just exhausting. My God, I wish. I wish you had won. I, I wish I just had not seen. But then again, maybe Devin would be kind of like Trump and then have this afterlife of being like just kind of this media guy that's just always in our ears anyway. I don't know. But uh, well, you know, we're, 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 we'll see what happens with him in 2022 uh, that when the district uh, gets redistricted. 
Um, if it gets tighter, if it gets bluer, um, he's going to have a really hard time uh, to make an argument on why he should be reelected. Uh, it's going to be really tough on him. He's used to being able to have that registration advantage. It's a huge gap. He's been there for 20 years. He has the name brand recognition. Um, you know, it's, it, it was like it was like if he was Coke and I'm like Cola, right? I didn't have the name recognition yet. Mm -hmm. I didn't have I didn't have the branding yet. People didn't know about it yet. They tried it. They liked it. Okay, we'll continue to vote for this guy. But Coke is some is a name that you always know. You know, I mean, you just know and you know what it's going to give you. And it doesn't matter. Somebody can tell you, hey, this guy's this 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 brand's a lot better. You should probably try. And I'm going to go with the Coke because you know I, I know I know it already. Might not be good for me, but I'm still going to take it. <laughs> it makes sense. Let's uh, let's end with kind of two a little bit lighter questions. Um, okay. The first one's going to be about bicycles. Um, I know okay. you're involved with bicycles. I. I, I will say I, I didn't actually own a car until I was 23 and I lived, mm -hmm. you know, lived, lived in Bakersfield uh, as a kid and then moved to San Francisco and then LA and then just used a bicycle to get around everywhere. So I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a big bicycle fan. And uh, when I, I lived in Pasadena for a few years and I worked on a bicycle commission there cause there was a, there was an accident around Caltech oh, and great. a bicyclist had died and they had wanted to rethink mm -hmm. like how, you know, how to get cyclists on the road and, but also safely. And for me, like I see two kinds of cyclists in Fresno. I see cyclists that have, they're wearing spandex. They have a $6,000 bike and mm -hmm. they're going to the foothills to, to get their workout in because it's non, non impact. Um, and then the other ones I see are people on their way to work at Safeway or wherever um, can't mm -hmm. afford a car, maybe miss the bus. Um, sure. and, you know, lower socioeconomic status. And those seem to me to be two diff different demographic groups, um, people mm -hmm. that are just at, at, by necessity and then people that are uh, on leisure time. Uh, yeah. So I guess what well, there's also there's also the uh, there's also the family rec group. Right. You have uh, those who a family who likes to bike in their neighborhood. And then you also have, unfortunately, you do have the um, the vagrant group who unfortunately don't abide by any of the laws and they they use it to get from point a to point b not to get to a job but just to get around the city right i mean you also have that group as well yeah. so yeah. yeah you have a couple other ones so what's your bicycle vision for fresno what would you like to see that's a big one so the reason i so i right now i sit as the chair of the city of fresno bicycle pedestrian advisory committee and um I was elected chair at the beginning of this past year. Um, I believe I'll be elected chair again this next couple, in the next couple weeks uh, for one more term. Uh, and uh, and uh, the reason I wanted to get involved with, with BPAC, as we call it, is because of my brief tenure outside of the city of Fresno. I lived in West LA, Santa Monica. And uh, very good. Obviously, Santa Monica is like the... the uh, the poster child of good infrastructure when it comes to bicycle lanes and pedestrian safety. Protected, so right? To Fresno, yeah, protected, all that, you know, painted lines, everything. So when I came back to Fresno, uh, you know, I wanted to make an impact somewhere. You know, where can I 
you know, and, I, and I, so I looked at a couple of committees on the city and I'm like, you know what, EPAC sounds like a really, it's somewhere where I could really thrive because I see, I, you know, living here my entire life and then coming back, not a lot had changed and I wanted, and it was so nice being in a city in an area in that West LA part where it was a little bit more obviously pedestrian and bicycle friendly. And I saw that our sprawl conditions as well. So I wanted to, I wanted to have a voice and I wanted to, you know, the people of my community to have a voice as well to, you know, how, how that, how that infrastructure takes part in the future of Fresno. So, you know, that's where I'm hoping. And what we're seeing right now is that, even you know, developers, they're adding those infrastructures into their communities. Uh, we have projects like the better Blackstone project. I'm not sure if everybody knows about it. It runs from, it's going to be south of Dakota all the way to the one, what is that, the 180 right there? Yeah, we had Keith and, on the podcast. Uh, he was great. Yeah, okay, so that's great, yeah. And that's going to be real bicycle and pedestrian friendly. And there's and then the next part is going to be from Dakota, I believe, all the way up to like Barstow or something like that. So it, it's slowly but surely, it, it's going to get there. But I think people do rec- are, are recognizing that uh, bicycle, uh you know, and pedestrian uh, safety is is really is really important in the city. Uh, you know, being as a on a on a, on a board like BPAC, uh, every meeting we have, which is every month, we have someone from the PD come, and they give us a report on bicycle safety accidents and pedestrian accidents, and pedestrian deaths, and and and, uh, and bicyclist deaths, and it's very eye opening. Unfortunately, there's a lot. You know, there was a point last year, I shouldn't say, was it last year or the year before, um, where the homicides being committed in the city and the amount of people who were dying on the bicycles of pedestrians were equal. I mean, that's, that's something that people would never, never understand. Like, oh, my God, we're not hearing about this. This is a, this is a serious problem. So, you know, I'm hoping that my tenure, my, my next tenure as DPAC, that we're, we're moving forward, uh, we have more... Uh, pedestrian safety uh, crossings. We have better uh, pedestrian safety or, or bicycle uh, bicycle lanes in certain parts of the city. We have things coming uh, that are, I believe, downtown where my office is right now. We have a new uh, projected bike lane. We also uh, we have what they call shared arrows, uh, shareos in certain parts of the city as well. We're supposed to get you know the the, the bicycles may use a full lane. So it's coming along. It's really tough because obviously the city, just like our parks, uh, just weren't calculated. Uh, the, uh, the the city, uh, the growth of the city, parks and pedestrian crossing or bicycle lanes were not in the calculations of that because of the car, because of everybody wanting to drive everywhere. Right. So I'm just hoping to leave a good spot, um, uh, you know, some kind of, legacy on the committee. I don't know what that'll be, uh, but we're, we're working hard to make uh, things more safe for, uh, for families. And one of the things that we did put, try to push through this last year because of the pandemic, and we, this is something that we still might be interested in doing because this pandemic is not slowing down, is what they call slow streets. And what a slow street is, is that you shut down an entire street for um, for bicyclists and pedestrians to have an outlet, a safe outlet to walk or ride uh, in order to to get out of the house uh, during this pandemic. And they did it in a lot of cities, uh, especially here in California. 
So we're looking at that. Um, it still could come up. I know one council district, uh, one um, one area is interested in having that happen, and we'll see we'll see if it happens. So we're, we're trying to make a difference. We want to um, give people more outlets. I know I see a lot of families in my neighborhood in different parts riding their bicycles, and I know it's tough because there are no bike lanes everywhere. I would like to see them, so we'll we'll, we'll make it happen. Though. You know, it's not often that I am you know, really proud to announce that I, from Bakersfield, but one of the things I am proud of <laughs> is, is uh, Bakersfield has this amazing bike path that one of the city councilmen there, Bob Smith was, and he's called Bicycle Bob in Bakersfield was just, you know, he's just made it his, his, his life's passion to, to advocate for that. So let's talk about food though, before we close mm-hmm. up. Um, you know, it's really tough time for restaurants these days. I mean, just the up and down with everything, um, closing, opening, closing, opening, and, you know, thin margins and still having to pay your rent and like all this stuff. Um, it's just tough. And I, I've tried to eat out as much as I can sustainably uh, without mm-hmm. just like creating a health crisis in my home. Um, mm-hmm. what, uh, what restaurants do you miss right now? Uh, what places uh, do you miss sitting in and having lunch or dinner? Yeah, you know, we have a, we have a, uh, a two-year-old and a seven-year-old. So going out, even before the pandemic, was not always a, we, we, it was tough, you know. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, not, uh, we're, not, we're not wealthy by any means. So we would pick and choose our battles uh, on where we would go. But since the pandemic, you know, our, our family, obviously, we try to, we, uh, we try to support local, right? I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing right now. And since this pandemic, we've done a lot, a lot of takeout as everybody else has done. And, you know, our places are pretty much a five block area around our house. It's not just a little bit outside as well. So last night we had a, a place right there where we live. By, uh, it's, on, it's on Palm and Boulder and it's called Pico de Gallo. It's a great Mexican restaurant, great breakfast burrito um, that I had last night. Interesting. Uh, okay. So we need to talk about this so, because, because that's one of the okay. things that bothers me about the Valley. And I missed about mm-hmm. Southern California. They do in Southern California, you know, because you've lived there, you know, they do yeah. breakfast burritos really well. And I mm-hmm. haven't really found a place that was like, you know, this is my. Yeah, spot. yeah no, I, so growing, so going to Fresno state too. And, and, and uh, you know, we had some good breakfast burrito place. Uh, everybody probably knows it. It's on, uh, it's on, what is that? Uh, Fresno and alluvial. It's the, it's the stop and go. They have okay. burrito breakfast burritos in the back. They were, when I started at Fresno state, they were like 75 cents each. They are now like $3 and 59 cents. They've gone up so much in the last, uh, in the last 10 to 15 years since I, I left, uh, uh, Fresno State, and then uh, but breakfast burrito, like a, a good size breakfast burrito, Pico de Gallo is a really good one uh, that I always get. Um, we're is, going to Fresno. Go ahead. What is included in a good breakfast burrito for you? What What are some necessary? For me, I like I like, I like I like papas. I like chorizo. Uh, they have uh, you know some beans in there. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of other stuff that I can't even think of right now, but I mean, for me, it's just about the meat. It's the chorizo. I like the chorizo and the papas. If I can have that, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm, and if it, and they have some really hot salsa that I 
I usually mm. buy by the 32 ounce to keep at home. Um, and it's just, I put that on every day. It hurts. It hurts later on, but it's totally worth it. Who cares? Uh, Who cares? <laughs> that's, very, what, exactly. that's the whole point. It's an experience. Who cares? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then um, being at Fresno State as well, uh, during my college years, um, how can you go wrong with teriyaki don, right? Um, I don't know if anybody knows what teriyaki don right there. It's on Herndon and Cedar. I live in some apartments close to by there. Um, it's right down the street from the university as well. So teriyaki don was always a staple. Um, you know, our family had doghouse the other night as well. And um, I love a good Tahoe Joe's. Um, they're... Uh, their happy hour is great as well. I know maybe more of a chain. I don't know. You know, they, they do have some here and there, Taco Joe's uh, as well. But, you know, we try to we try to keep it close. We try to keep it local. Oh, Pete's Teriyaki. How do you not like Pete's Teriyaki right there on Sean Marks? Uh, and when that's what I grew up on with high school. I think that's all exclusive. I ate for a while my senior year. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, as well. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good places that, uh, uh, you know, I, I like to – to help out with, you know, me and Ed's, even though it's a big pizza chain, you know, we like to order, my son loves to order pizza from Coney Island. He, you know, I can't tell, I, I tell him, I tell him it's specifically Coney Island. He doesn't realize it's, it's also me and Ed's pizza, but he likes the Coney Island thing. So I say, okay, we'll go to Coney Island. Let, yeah, let's talk um, about me and Ed's for one second. So, you know, sure. as someone that's not from Fresno and I came here, you know, I was skeptical of me and Ed's when I arrived. And I remember on Twitter the other day, I don't know who it was. It might have been Craig Sharton or somebody. Someone, uh, there was some like uh, Twitter challenge to tweet something controversial. Um, okay. And someone tweeted, someone tweeted, me and Ed's is not good pizza. And, you know, that's, ooh, to say that's, that in Fresno. That's brutal. Yeah, that's yeah, brutal. And, and when I, I have to admit, when I got here, I was skeptical of it. It was different. I, I was, you know, we were living, mm -hmm. we were living in Southern California and I was used to getting some like New York style pizza. And so when I showed up, I was sure. just like, what is this like bready flaky stuff on the end here? <laughs> but now I kid you not, I'll tell my wife, you know, it'll be Friday and we'll be like, oh, we should get some takeout. And like my eyes will get real big and she's like, you want me and Ed's, don't you? And I'm like, I want me and Ed's. And I, yeah, it, it, I, it builds on you. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but uh, maybe you have to be from the Central Valley in order to get. I had a fraternity brother because I was in a fraternity in Fresno State uh, up in Sacramento, and uh, he's still up in Sacramento. Now I don't know what his affinity for me and Ed's now is, but he would literally come all the way down. I think me and Ed's goes all the way up to like Modesto. He would go down to Modesto, pick up some me and Ed's, and haul it all the way back to Sacramento. So there are some diehard uh, me and Ed folks. Uh, out there as well so nice. yeah those are it I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more that i can't think of what i was really i really enjoyed about running for for congress in this district was uh all the different food places i got to try in in uh in the district mostly mexican food with all the little talk with all the different taco vendors you know we as a family will go down to Tulare right now to go pick up um some tacos from a, a food truck down there Really? Um, and haul them all the way back to Fresno. Yeah, it's my wife loves them. My kids will eat them. And it's, you know, when you find food for your kids to eat, like you, that's like, you'll go out of your way to make that happen. So, you know, we go down to Tulare to pick up our, our tacos and they have a good uh, ramen uh, with some, you know, with some, with some meat in it as well that I, I really enjoy. Um, and then in Reedley, there was a, a Mexican restaurant that we, we really enjoyed. And then that's one of the things that the pandemic, unfortunately, 
you know, took from us is, is eating more on the district. <laughs> you know, being able to go off to Lindsay and Woodlake and, and all those places and trying the different foods out. Uh, unfortunately, really, uh, I really missed out. But those places I got to see in the in the in, during the primary, and uh, and we really enjoyed them and still go back there to stay. Yeah, I mean, I hope you know. Yeah, I mean, if if you you know if you're using Grubhub to get in and out or something, shame on you. Because it's just because <laughs> it's like, yeah. look, do you want to live in a world where it's just chains? I mean, do you not want local mm-hmm. restaurants? Do you not want to have the uniqueness of some of the places we've been talking about? I mean, I think I think it's just so critical to you know recognize that those big companies have the capital to survive something like this. Yeah. And the little business. It's uh, it, it's been really hard to see you know our favorite restaurants struggle, but I mean they're doing the ones that we go to seem to be doing very well. I know it's not the case for everyone, yeah. but I mean that's a testament to the food that they serve and the service that they have there as well. And I'm hoping that they all, I'm sure they all took advantage of uh, you know the, the COVID relief for small businesses, and it's still open to this day right now. I think the next round they're handing out again, and I'm sure we'll get another one. You know, that's the only way you, we talked about the economy, but, you know, the only way this we're going to get out of this road, the economy is if, if people have the necessary assistance and funds to help this economy thrive. And while we, you know, my wife and I, we got our 1200 and then we got another 600 for each child. So we got uh, $2,400. Yes, that's nice. And that will help. And that and it does move along. My wife's been out of a job since, since the pandemic started. She unfortunately lost her job. Um, since the you know and uh, in, in back in March, so it's been helpful for her to get her her EDD assistance and of course getting these stimuluses. But I can only imagine what other people are going through, and the fact that we only had one stimulus in April, we had another one in May, but the House Republicans, including our representative here, voted no against it, and it hadn't been passed by the Senate because it was going to give out two thousand dollar tax. And then we had to fight tooth and nail to get this $1,200. And that's why I think, you know, on the horizon with the new administration, we're going to see some really good COVID relief that everybody can use. And we're, you know, these, these are things that, you know, will go back into the economy. You know, my wife and I, whether it was the, the first, um, the first check that we got, I think we, you know, we, we, uh, we, we bought some stuff that we needed because, uh, because it, we needed it and hadn't been for a while. It was like, okay, this is a great opportunity to finally get that item that we needed. And it went right, again, it went from our bank account right back into the economy. Mm-hmm. This $1,200, we're, we're going to be saving for um, a purchase of another vehicle. Because like you, I, I, well, I only have, we only have one, and I bike usually around my, just around my little area. I use my bike, but we, my wife will be starting work here again soon um, at Fresno State. So we'll need two cars to get back and forth in, in different areas. So we're saving up our down payment to put back into the economy again to get a car. So another stimulus, I got you know another chunk of change to put down with a car. And it only helps the economy grow and, and helps people get food on the table. It's going to go right back into their uh, economy. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I know went on a little bit tangent there. No, no. I mean, it's same it's difference. Important. Same difference. And I, and I <laughs> it's think it's important supporting businesses, especially your local uh, uh, small businesses for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, if 
people that need the money that they'll they'll put it right back in the economy immediately. I mean, there's been this oh, absolutely. mythology, uh, at least that I've heard that like, oh, we don't want to send out stimulus checks because people are just going to put that into their savings account. And, and I'm just like, have you met people right now? And that's the reason, you know, and I, and I, I think I tweeted this um, a couple of weeks ago when we did get our 1200. It's like, look, it's not the, it's not the relief that we needed or wanted, but it's what we got. Um, but obviously these politicians in Washington, a lot of them who are very wealthy, have never received a 48 hour notice on their PG&E, right? And that's, you know, that was one of the reasons I was also running. Look, my wife and I were not healthy, or we're not wealthy, I should say. And it was a financial risk and a commitment to, to make this race uh, and to make it happen. I probably would have went in as, as a member of Congress as one of the poorest members of Congress. Uh, with my wife out of a job and, and then me finally, you know, being a member. I mean, it was not, we're, we're not wealthy. And I wanted to show people, especially the, the, uh, the kids growing up here, that you could make, the, you could do this too. You know, get to know the right people, make the right connections. You can run for Congress. You don't have to be rich or a millionaire. You know, my wife and I, we have received, you know, back in the day, we, we have received those 48 hour notices. We have seen the 15 day shut off or pay bill. You know, we have been laid on our rent and that's where this money is gonna to go to right now during this pandemic where millions of Americans are out of work and, and they don't have healthcare as well during a pandemic. So um, that's why it's important to, to support your small businesses and, and that people need money. Absolutely. So I uh, end every podcast with book recommendations. Um, you know, lately I've been, I've been reading, I don't know, a lot more fiction these days and a lot more poetry. I think my brain has just been overloaded with the nonfiction of reality. But what have you been reading lately? So that's, um, I'm glad that you asked that. I'm glad that I am reading now. So, you know, yeah. after the election, I took some time to, to read and then, you know, I, I had a lot of books that I wanted to read. But, but I just finished reading and I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Uh, it's called Infamous Scribbles, and it's about, or was it Infamous Scribbles? Something like that. Um, <laughs> I can't remember the exact title. I'll give you the exact title if you want sure. to share it with your audience uh, in an email. Uh, but it was about the early days of the uh, of the press in this country, um, starting before the Civil or the, the the Revolutionary War, basically all the way up to the Civil War. And it was, you know, we think of certain um, we. And, and, and we think of certain founding fathers as these statesmen and, and, and these politicians. You know, there's a few of them that started in the press. Um, you know, someone like um, uh, we think of Sam Adams, right, as a beard guy. No, he he actually started. His father was Sam Adams. He actually was started a, a press in in Massachusetts. He was he started a magazine or a, a gazette, I think it was called. They had a, or a current. The New England Current, I believe it was called, or something like that. Um, Alexander Hamilton, we think of a big, you know, statesman, the guy who, you know, who, who got murdered by Burr. Uh, but he, he, he had two Federalist papers, or newspapers, one at the end of his life as well, he ran as well. So it was, it was very good to read. It was, a, it, was a hard, it, was a, it was a difficult read because it was old English, you know, <laughs> older yeah. English, and, and um, you, know, you had to really... Uh, think about what they were saying, very Shakespearean-like, not as bad, though. 
Um, but it was a very good read, and, and if you're interested in journalism at all, I think it would it'd be a really good uh, read, read to go to, to have. And again, I'll, I'll give you the, the title if you want it later on. Absolutely. Well, and I, you know, it's it's funny, like, we think about, oh, the press is so wild today. And mm-hmm. if you go back then, I mean, I, I remember reading oh, the biography yeah. of Benjamin Franklin that Walter Isaacson did. And he talks about, you know, the stuff that Benjamin Franklin would publish. And I was like, he sounds like some crazy, like, uh, I don't know, like Rupert Murdoch over here. His, his grandson was terrible. Benjamin Franklin, I think it was, it's either Bosch or Bache, B-A-C-H-E. His his grandson was a vicious media guy, print guy. So Franklin actually, because he obviously was mentioned in, in the book, he was very subdued compared to his grandson. I mean, you know, and of course they all wrote under pseudonyms. They all did. Hamilton, Jefferson, Washington, they all wrote these. I mean, and, and obviously the best known one is Silence Do Good that uh, Benjamin Franklin um, uh, wrote under. So they all wrote under pseudonyms uh, to get their point across and this and that. But yeah, they were brutal back then. And, and we think of, and the reason that the press is like this today, with, you know, they have, they have their sources and they do all this and, and it's more, it's more tame. It is. I mean, people want to give the press a bad rap, but they actually do a pretty good job. I mean, they were writing stuff back in the day that they didn't care if it was real or not. There was no sources. They would make stuff up on the spot. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, and that's that's where I push back against those people that are like, "Oh, the world's always, you know, the world's getting worse. It's the media's crazy. They're just saying whatever they want." And it's like, I think you just haven't read enough history because, yeah, I mean, things there. There's very few areas in my mind. Maybe the environment's one of them. Uh, that we could talk about, but like, there's very few areas where things I would like to go back 200 years ago and live under whatever oh, that yeah. was. So, well, anyway, Phil, uh, I, appreciate I, I, I heard, well, I, I read that you are a, a teacher in Chowchilla. Yeah. So I lived in Chowchilla. Just want to let you know, I lived in Chowchilla for a couple of years after I graduated college at Fresno State. I actually was appointed to the Parks and Recreation Commission for the city of Chowchilla. Very short tenure, but uh, and there wasn't much to do, obviously. There was a couple parts. They do have a, they actually do have a, a little league, like an actual oh, yeah, little yeah. league from the little league. And then, um, and I actually did, uh, it was a substitute teacher for the Madera County Office of Education in Madera County and all that. And I did do a, I, I did substitute at Jill Shilley High School. Well, it's a small world and Chucho is a small world. Town. Yeah. Um, well, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, you're welcome. And, uh, well, you know, today was an interesting day, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully things will just get better from here. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and thank you for having me on uh, as well. I think, uh, I think it was important for people to hear this podcast today, especially what's going on and, and uh, you know, maybe hopefully learn a little bit more about me and, and this run that I had uh, in the Central Valley. Awesome. Politics, religion, culture, art, music, show some respect to the best little city left in the U.S. Thank you for listening, everybody. It was great to have Phil on today to talk through these political issues with him. And please stay safe out there. There's still a pandemic going on. Until next time, so long. <laughs>